Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone here. Um, big thank you. I want to give a shout out to our youth and the junior youth for the coffee bar. That's an enjoyable thing. I, I love seeing them um, back there working together, making it happen. Um, but thank you to you guys for being here um, and showing your support. That's a really, that really means a lot um, for your support, to show your support to the youth and for the trip that they want to be taking here later this summer. <clears throat> also did want to mention we had a good weekend. Um, the men who were able to be at the men's retreat. <clears throat> um, beautiful setting, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, I got there a little bit early on Friday, and it's one of those places where you can just sit there and contemplate for pretty long, just just sit there. It's one of those places. So we have, But we had a really good evening. Um, Marvin shared his story with us um, on Friday evening, so that was really good. We were really blessed by that. So a great time together. Thank you to everyone who was there to make that happen. So today we keep going in 1 John. Um, if you followed along, we are ready for 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, way at the end of chapter 2. And then it's going to go through uh, chapter 3, verse 10 today. <clears throat> 1 John 2, 28. I'm just going to go ahead and we're going to read it now. Um, and I'll come back and uh, give a little bit of an overview of just this piece of it. 1 John 2, verse 28 is where I'm starting. John says this, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not, did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we, will, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And you know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil." No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. <clears throat> Interesting Interesting piece of scripture. Um, so let's, I, I want to dive into it here in, in just a little bit. 
But as you guys are probably all aware, you, you, your body carries a set of unique DNA, right? Every person carries a genetic code that makes up who you are. And of all the, what, 8 billion people in the world, not one of them are the same, right? So your DNA, your genetic, genetic code is different, unique from everyone else in the world. So you have this genetic code, and from that genetic code, that's what, that's what makes you who you are. It's, it's what makes up your personality. It makes your hair color, or whether you have hair or don't have hair. Um, it, your, your height, it makes up all of that. Your eye color, all those pieces of who you are, are, are known and shaped by what this genetic code is, this DNA, in your body. You can do all kinds of genetic testing. So with some of our dogs, we do genetic testing. And with the DNA code that you can unravel and read, we can figure out what kind of offspring that they're going to have. So you can figure out so many details and know so many details of a person or whatever it is that you're studying by the DNA, because that's what makes up the person. Do you have any idea how much DNA your body contains? Any students know that? Any students know how much DNA your body contains? So each, each cell in your body contains about six and a half feet of DNA. So think about that. Each cell and approximately, what, three billion cells? Mike, do you know? More than that? Upwards, more than three billion? So this was from a quick Google search. If you would take your DNA, your individual DNA, and you would stretch it out, you'd come up with about 67 billion miles of DNA. So you could go to the moon and back 150,000 times with your DNA if you would stretch it out and unravel it. And all of that is what makes you uniquely you. You have no choice. You don't have the DNA that you have is given to you. You don't have a say in it, right? Your DNA that you are, have been given has been given to you by your parents. You don't have a say in what that is. But in all the amazing whatever of the DNA of your physical body, it doesn't dictate your eternal destiny. It doesn't matter if your DNA says you have this wonderful personality, or maybe you are melancholy, or whatever, all the different personalities. It doesn't matter if your DNA says you're short, you're tall, blue eyes, brown eyes, whatever. None of that affects your eternal destiny. But there is a new DNA that comes to the child of God that affects your destiny, your eternal destiny. And that, that DNA that comes to the child of God, he talks about it in this, in this passage as he marvels that the love of God is something that is given to you and it changes everything 
about how you look at life, how you live your life, and how you look at the future. It changes all of that. And so I want to talk a little bit about about that, what, what it is, what is that DNA change that takes place to the person who is born of God. If you noticed it, he mentions that twice. And this, this passage is kind of, it's almost, it, it's, one, it's one, big, one big piece, but there's kind of a parentheses part in the middle of it. In 28 and 29, he starts talking about um, how you know who a child of God is. And he talks in very frank language about a person who claims to be a child of God um, and then he lives something else is not real. You cannot be a child of God and keep living the way you had been living before. Something changes. Just like your DNA, you can't change. And it affects everything about who you are. The DNA that God gives you affects everything about who you are, about who I am. It changes all of that. <clears throat> so Jesus gives... Okay, so let me, let me finish that thought. So he, he starts that, that thought talking about how the Christian lives and how you can identify who is a believer and who isn't a believer. And then he, he breaks in, in in verses the first three verses of chapter 3. That's what I would call maybe this parentheses where he goes off and he just starts talking about... He gets kind of drawn in to this idea of being born again and what that looks like. And then um, from chapter or verse 4 through 10, he talks again. He, he just reiterates and says the same thing over and over again about the child of God, how he lives, the child of the devil, how he lives, and that there can be not be any, that there can't be a claim to be one, but you're living something else. So I said twice he mentions to be born, that you are born of him. He says that in the end of verse 2 says, everyone who practices righteousness, he does that. You live the way you do because you have been born of him. Then he comes back again in verse 9. He says this, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. There's been a genetic change. There's some change that has happened. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. Do you get that? He cannot keep on sinning. Because he has been born of God. So there's that great genetic DNA change that takes place in the hearts of a believer. <clears throat> so what is this? I want to talk around, go around verses 3 and 1, uh, the first three verses of chapter 3 for the, for the time being and come back to it um, and end with those, those three verses John is talking, he, he twice, he, in last week's, no, it was two weeks ago when Wayne preached about the last hour and he talked about the Antichrist and he talked about the deception that the people should be looking out for. And in our text today, he's, he mentions that deception again. I think it's in um, verse 7 or 8. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. So what is the deception? What is this that he's talking about? Remember, John's an old man, and he has... I just picture this grandfatherly old man who's lived so much life. He's seen so much. He walked with Jesus. He saw Jesus' life. 
And now the church is being, being attacked by all these different, different deceptions that are coming in trying to lead people astray. The thing with deception is, if you're deceived, do you know that you're deceived? Do you know you're deceived? How, if that's, the, that's the what makes deception deception, isn't it? And so I think what John is telling us, wanting us to get, is that if you want to stay or keep from being deceived, you have to be so connected to the truth that anything that comes across that is different than the truth is, um, is immediately evident. I went through and I counted. Um, Wayne mentioned this last time, I think, the word abide. It comes up twice in our text again today. In 1 John alone, he uses the word abide 24 times. 24 times that this abiding, it's this constant day-to-day, day-in, day-out, every minute of the day, constant living, being connected to the source of life, being connected to the source of truth. And if we want to keep from being deceived, that's how we have to live. We have to stay connected to the source of truth. But the deception I think that he's addressing here, or one of them is that people will say that you can be a Christian, you can be a follower of Christ, but you can keep living as you wish. And I want you to think about how how that is something how, how that may be seeping into our world today into our the church today and maybe I'll maybe I'll come back to it a little bit but let me just let me just point out to you the way that John approaches this he says it twice in a positive way and what he's what he's driving at is that you cannot say that you are a child of God and yet keep living the way you did. It's impossible. It's just like that DNA thing. That, that's a picture that sticks. It works for me at least. Your DNA won't change. That's who you are. And so as a child of God, you carry God's DNA. You will live from that DNA. So you can't say you're one thing and then live another. Positively, he says this in verse 29, If you know that Jesus is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Whoever, in verse 7, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And then four times he's, he does this in the negative sense. He says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one keeps on sinning at, I'm sorry, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. That's in verse 8. In verse 9 again, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So is he, is John suggesting to us that the believer will never sin? What do you think? Verse 6, it says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No, that's not the verse I wanted. I'm sorry, I cannot lay my eyes on just the verse I wanted. It can almost, it can almost sound like John saying, 
the Christian, the child of God, no longer sins. I don't think that's the case, right? Did you notice the language that he uses when he talks about this? He's talking about a lifestyle of sin. So keep that in mind. A lifestyle of sin. Um, he, he uses the term practice, practice of sinning. Practice of sinning. Um, John said back in, I think it was the end of, is it the end of chapter 1 or the uh, first of chapter 2? He says, brother and sister, like the one who does sin, if you do sin, what do we have? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So John is not advocating that the Christian now suddenly lives a perfect life, absolutely no sin ever. But he is saying that if you encounter Jesus, your lifestyle will change. Think of the, the people that Jesus encountered during his, his ministry. Um, Jesus, and it's, and it's so true, Jesus hung out with the outcasts of society in so many cases. Um, he hung out with the tax collectors, the sinners, things that the Pharisees got all, all worked up about. Um, the lepers, the people who were the sick, um, all, all those people, Jesus spent time with them. But the one thing that is, that is true in all, all the people that Jesus encountered and that truly, the people that truly encountered Jesus is in, in all those cases, Jesus never changed. But no one, but everyone who truly encountered Jesus, walked away changed. It's always the case. Think of uh, the woman at the well as a prime example, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus encountered Jesus. He didn't just keep living the life that he did. Something in him changed. And I'd suggest that's that new DNA, that being born of God, being fathered by God, and then something out of that flows this dramatic change in how you live. <clears throat> and so I think that's what John is coming against is, and we, we, we see this in, in our, Western, our Western culture, Western churches even, where it's all about Jesus loves everyone, Jesus loves the sinner, and that's true. I'll preach that over and over again because it's so true. But what is also true is that the person who encounters Jesus will be changed. Will not, cannot, according to John's language here, he cannot keep living a lifestyle of sin if he has truly encountered Jesus and been born of that. So what is it, what is it that, in, that brings about that change? What is it that about being born of God that creates such a drastic change in a person's life. There's something in that, I think, it, that, that draws John in. If you think about John, the life that John lived, the time that he spent with Jesus, everything that he saw in Jesus' life when he was here on earth, he saw Jesus heal, heal the people, he saw all his miracles, he saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw him in his glory. After the resurrection, he saw all that. He saw the power of the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost. He experienced all of that, John did. And yet, 
And then here's where I want to draw our attention to is in verse 1, something with the love of the Father that calls us His children, that brings us into His family. Something in that inspires awe in John's life. And let me, let me show you what, what I mean by that. <clears throat> and this is, I think, I think John puts this, this little, what I'm calling a parenthesis, he puts this in there because it's out of this. If we get this piece of it, the lifestyle, the, the living a lifestyle of sin, living a lifestyle oh, that is righteous, whatever, all of that falls into place if we get this, if we get this piece of it. Verse 1, it's such a familiar verse, and um, it should strike awe in us as it does in John. Just the first part of verse 3 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The very first word, see, depending what translation you have, it uses the word behold. And it's both, that word, that word, the way he uses it, is both an exclamation and it's also a command. Have you ever, I was trying to think of a really good example of this, but have you ever seen something that just grabbed your attention that you couldn't look away from? I mean, you, you, just, you just have to stand there and look at it in awe and you try to look, look away and go do something, and you're just like, you're, you just come right back to it. The closest I could, I could come for me was um, my father-in-law has a, has a house in Colorado, and it's right at the foot of the mountains. Some of you have seen it, and it's, there's something in that that just draws me in. But I found myself, I mean, I'd go do something in the house, whatever, I'd just keep coming back to the window, and I'd just look back out, just over and over and over again. It's like, Try to go do something, it's just like, it's like a magnet, it just draws you right back to it. Um, so whatever that is for you, get that, that picture in your head, that's the kind of, that kind of awe that we should have of the love of God. It should inspire awe us, it should be something that just keeps drawing us in. Now if I'd spend a year, two years, five years there seeing the mountains every day, I probably get kind of used to it and kind of, uh, it's just not as big of a deal anymore. But the Father's love is something that should continue to draw us in, continue to grab us. And the beauty of being in awe of the Father's love is that the more we experience it, the more we get drawn into it, the more, we're, um, the more in awe we are the more we get drawn into it. It's just, this, it's just this, like this vacuum that just keeps drawing us in and pulling us in. If the thought that a holy God would love me, a messed up, self-centered guy, if that doesn't inspire awe and worship in me, I'm not sure what, what would or what should. But the word's also a command. We live life, right? And in life we get, we get sidetracked by so many things. We, get, we, ha- we live life and we just hammer down one thing to the next. So I think it's also a command where John says, stop. Intentionally stop and pay attention to the love of the Father. 
Sometimes if we don't just stop, we just keep flying right by it and we miss the beauty of it. Alexander McLaren said it, says it this way, A habit of devout, thankful meditation of God's great love as seen in the sacrifice of His Son for us, along with the humble, thankful conviction that I am a child of God, because of it, because it lies at the foundation of vigorous, happy Christian living. So the importance of stop, behold, be in awe. The second thing about the love of the Father, he says, what manner of love or what kind of love is this that is given? The word given is lavished. Do you know anyone who is more generous, generous than your God? Is there anyone who gives more extravagantly than God in His love? But the thing of it is, if something is given by its very nature, it can't be earned. I can't earn this. You can't earn this. You can't buy your way in. You can't do something that's good enough. You can't work incredibly hard to live a righteous life so that you become a child of God. The love of the Father, the love is given to you, and out of that comes a life that is righteous, a life that does not long or continue to live in the sin. And I think we, we get that, we know, we know that here. But we are, we, let, me, let me just say this is me. We have this little thing called pride in our lives. Who wants to somehow still have control, still think that we need to earn it or even we, we recognize that it is a gift, and yet somehow now I need to pay God back for the gift that He's given. It's not a gift if you think you have to pay it back. It's a gift when you simply accept it and say thank you. And when we live in that, I believe that out of that will flow a life that is pure, that is righteous, that is pleasing to God. If we get those things turned around, we're doing a workspace kind of salvation and we, we will absolutely wear ourselves out, and it's actually really deeply rooted in pride. <clears throat> so his love gives us this, the kind of love. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given, and this is it, that we should be called his children. There is your new identity, your new DNA, if you will, Worship team sang the song, Who You Say I Am. That is what matters. That is what matters in your life. It's who Jesus says you are, who God says you are. And so now as his child, you accept that gift that is given to you. Now you have his DNA flowing through your veins. There's a, there's a, um, a song that we sing sometimes um, I, I looked it up, uh, called No Longer a Slaves. We're, I'm No Longer a Slave to Fear, that song. There, there's, one, there's one verse in that song that um, my mind was drawn to as, as I thought of this. It says, from my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Your love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins. So the DNA of God now flows through your veins and my veins, and it will change how you live. You don't, 
I don't want to say you don't have to try. You don't have to try. You have to... Do you get what I'm saying? This is what, this is how our lifestyle changes. When we are drawn into the love and the thing that it is that makes us His child. When we are drawn into that, and I think that's part of this whole idea of abiding. When we are abiding in Him, the life that comes from us will change. It will be different. It will reflect whose we are. It will reflect the DNA that is in us, that flows through our veins. <clears throat> I love how he, how he ends that. He says that we should be called the children of God. So you are called his children. So you have a new name, a new identity in your name. And then he says, and so we are. So it's more than just something you're called. It is an actual thing. You are his son, not you are his son or his daughter, not just in name, but in actuality. That is who you are. Your identity has changed. Your identity has shifted. So how should this impact how I live today? How should it impact how I live this week? It should impact, and it does impact how I live because It is something that identity affects not only my future, but it it affects my present. Did you catch what John says in in verse 2, the first part of verse 2? Beloved, we are God's children now. Now. This morning as you sit here, this is who you are. You are a child of God today. Not something you're working towards But today, he says, you are a child of God, and that's going to drastically affect how I think. It's going to um, affect my motives. It's going to affect everything about my life today and tomorrow. But he also says that our future is secure. If you are a child of God, your future is secure. Back in verse 28, he says... um, Let me just make sure I get the word. So that when he appears, so when Jesus appears, the second coming. I remember as a as a young young child, the thought of the second coming, of Jesus coming through the clouds. There's something a little freaky about that. It scared me a little bit. But he says, as a child of God, the one who abides in him, who basks in that love, he says, you're going to be confident at his coming. You're not going to shrink back in shame and in fear because of whatever. But he says you will be confident when he comes back. And then he comes back, he, he actually mentions that again um, in verse 2 of chapter 3. He said, we're God's children now, and what we shall be is not yet appear, but when we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So what is now maybe veiled, maybe a little fuzzy. But someday it's going to be completely revealed, completely open, but your future is already, right now, today, secure. And then verse 3, we didn't read touch verse 3 yet. He says, let me just close with this. He says that everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So how does... 
standing in awe, being drawn into the love of the Father and the fact, the fact, get that, that you are a child of God. That will affect how you live. It will affect how I live because His, his blood flows through my veins. His DNA is now who I am. Who I am has completely changed. And so how I live tomorrow, how I live next week, is going to change. It's not going to be the same. It can't remain the same. So if you get, I don't know, overwhelmed or overwhelmed or you feel like life is just flying by, running by so fast, you're missing whatever, I simply encourage you this week, if, if that's happening in your life, Follow the command to stop and behold. Just stop and ponder that love that makes you his child. And see what that does in your heart. All right, thank you. You can stand. Worship team, come forward. Father, thank you this morning for that great love. <coughs> and as, as we stand here this morning before you, I pray that the thought, the truth, that you're our Father, that we're born of you, that your DNA flows through us, God, just bring that home, bring that home in our hearts here this morning. The security that it brings to us, the life change that it brings to us, we thank you this morning for that. In Jesus' name, amen.